Whenever we meet someone new, we are immediately impacted. Sometimes it is positive, sometimes it's negative. And our journey through life has thousands and thousands of different interchanges that happen as we meet people, get to know people, as we lose track of people, as we lose touch of people, as we're reunited with people. There's a whole gamut of different possibilities. And over the course of our life, the people that we meet will impact us in various ways. Sometimes as we meet other people, those encounters are often brief and cordial. Sometimes they might be lengthy and intense, and other times they may be a little bit awkward or even embarrassing. And sometimes we can get a little bit of a sense of the spirit of another person by their body language or their tone of voice or the level of engagement and interest that they have as we converse together. Some people have trust issues, and so they take a long time to get to know other people. There are some people that can be a little bit suspicious of other people, and so they want to make sure that they're not going to get burnt in some way by reaching out and interacting. Usually, there's three types of people in the way they interact with other people in the course of their opportunities. Some are outspoken. We all know those extroverts, right? They, you always kind of know what emotions they have because they wear them on their sleeves. There are some people that kind of hide their emotions. Uh, they never speak their mind. You almost have to pull it out of them to get to know a little bit about them. And still others just kind of avoid. Um, again, trust might be an issue, and they want to stay neutral, and it will take a long time for them to build trust. Well, all of this is to say that in this series that we're in, in the Gospel of Luke, Many of the encounters that Jesus has with other people have that range of response. There are those that are kind of outspoken. There are those that kind of hide their feelings. And there are those that would just kind of like to neutralize Jesus a little bit uh, because what he says or what he teaches might seem threatening in some way. So today what I want to do is talk a little bit about some of the interchanges that Jesus had with other people. Uh, rarely, though, are there any neutral exchanges that we find in the Gospels. When Jesus interacts with other people, many times it's very positive. I gave you an example of that uh, when he healed the blind man. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit intense because in the passage of scripture I read in the opening, there were people that began to turn away from Jesus because of the, some of the things that he taught. And there were those that were put on the spot. Peter was one of them. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus pinpoints a very direct question to Peter do you want to leave, or really it's to all 12, do you want to leave and follow the others who are deserting? And he says, Jesus, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So positive or negative, when we interact with other people, there is either a positive energy or a negative energy that is being transferred. 
Well, as I was preparing for this message, I ran across a quote from this author by the name of Brennan Manning. He says, in every encounter that we have, we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange. Or we might say there's rarely neutral exchange. So I want to use that as a title for my message today, No Neutral Exchange. And I'm going to tell you four stories out of the Gospel of Luke, and each of them respond differently to the encounter with Jesus. And we might find that we fit the perspective of some of these individuals that we're going to take a look at. To get started, I want to ask you a question. It's hypothetical because it can't really be done. And that is, how would you respond to Jesus if you met him in person? How would you respond to Jesus if you met him in person? How do you think it would go? Would you be fearful? Would you be excited? Would you be suspicious? Would you be cautious? I think that's a... Uh, impossible question to ask. That's why it's more rhetorical. But it allows us to kind of see how we communicate because it is very difficult to transfer what it would be like to meet someone who lived in the first century, lived in the ancient Near East, who was an individual that um, is not only a, a central figure within his community, yet at the same time, he did not live in a secular postmodern world. He lived in an ancient world in Jewish Palestine that had a temple and Judaism was the religious structure of the day. Would Jesus interact with us differently than he did those he encountered in the Gospel of Luke? Would he encounter people differently today? Would he encounter politicians in Washington, D.C., differently than people that lived in the Amazon rainforest? It's a good question to consider. How would Jesus interact with people if we met him in person? Well, today I want to talk about four stories. And these four stories are going to lead us into a summary uh, to think about how the communication that Jesus has with us via the stories that are told in the Gospels, is something that will cause some type of reaction in us. And then it will help us see a little bit how we react to other people when we meet an, another individual. Or perhaps you go to dinner with someone and how that is going to go as you talk across the table. So the four stories begin first in chapter 8 of Luke. We're going to jump to chapter 11 and chapter 18. Now, I could spend a message on each of these stories, but I'm going to pull out something out of each of these stories that's quite important. So in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 8, the first story that we encounter is of a demon-possessed man. And it's a lengthy story this is a man that is feared in the community. He's an individual that has been chained to the tombstones in his community. Listen. 
It says they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across a lake from uh, the lake of, from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he met a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. He lived in the cemetery. <laughs> When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained in hand and foot and kept under guard, guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now that would freak you out, wouldn't it? Here's a naked, bloody guy that's a part of the community that they chained to the tombstones, exiled him from the community. Here's this individual that had some type of problem. Uh, be aware that in the Gospels, when it often talks about demon possession, there's not the medical terminology in the first century that we have today. Maybe this is a man that suffered from schizophrenia. This might be an individual that's bipolar. This might be an individual that has been hurt and used and abused in a variety of different ways. And he's an individual that begins to act out. And as he acts out, he becomes the... Uh, the person in the community everybody's afraid of. He's the, he's the zombie. He's the individual that everyone says to their kids, stay away from that man, he's dangerous. Stay away from that man, he can hurt you. And so he becomes exiled in the community, and Jesus interchanges with him in a really strange way. This is a long story, but the first thing that he says to this man is, what is your name? And the man replies, Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, this story is one where Jesus comes across this man who obviously has all kinds of mental issues. And this man has been bound and he has been blamed. Here's what I mean by that. He has been bound physically because no one can trust him. But he has been blamed for all of the community's problems. If anything went wrong, if there was a famine, if there was something that happened in the community by way of an accident, the superstition of the community believed that this was the guy that was to be blamed. And that still happens in our society, doesn't it? There are certain groups of people that are often blamed for the problems within society. And here is this individual that is bound spiritually, emotionally, and socially. And he is an individual that has no community, he has no relationships, and Jesus comes along and he asks the most important question that could ever be asked. What is your name? Who are you? Where'd you come from? Well, this is an individual that's living in a land called the Gerasenes, which is interesting. If you take a look at 
this map here, we said that this middle section here, uh, the yellow section, uh, is, is Jesus' ministry up north in Galilee here. And then the, most of the Gospel of Luke is in this area called Samaria, chapters 10 through 19. But this particular occasion tells us that he is in the Gerasenes, which is up in this area called the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis means ten cities. Polos meaning city, Deca meaning ten. Ten cities. Well, these are ten Roman cities occupying the land. And here we find in this area, there is this place called Gadara and Gerasa uh, that is believed to be this territory where this man has been exiled. And uh, there's ma uh, manuscript differences in the spelling. That's why there's different naming here. But alongside the east side of the Sea of Galilee, this is Gentile territory. And this is where Roman occupation has come in and basically forced the community into obedience and paying taxes and all these type of things. But all of the problems of this community has been put on the shoulders of this man. And Jesus comes along and he says, what is your name? What is your story? And the man says, my name is Legion. Now, there's all kinds of subtle symbolism that's going on in this story. What is a legion? A legion is a subdivision of the Roman army. Okay, the le A legion is an army or part of the Roman army that would come into a community, wipe it out, and set it up as its own. And that's what these ten cities are around where this man has been held. And Jesus finds this bound and blamed man for all of society's problems, and he's going to set him free. And what he does is he heals this man, and as he does so, there is this individual that all of a sudden now has a reason to live. And his whole countenance changes. As the text goes on, it tells us that when there was these pig farmers that um, came to see what was happening, it says when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Isn't that, isn't that a great phrase? He's dressed. He's no longer naked. He's no longer bloody. And he's no longer bound. Because Jesus had the type of compassion upon this man to ask who he was. And brought to him a sense of purpose. And brought to him a sense of meaning. And brought to him a sense of freedom that nobody else would give him. And all of a sudden, his mental health becomes better. And the community comes around and they go, who's this guy that now has clothes on? Who's this guy that's sitting in his right mind? Who is this individual that we were all afraid of? And all of a sudden, he can become a prominent part of the community because Jesus has no neutral exchange. He comes with this positive energy, lifts him up, gives him purpose, and allows him to have a better life. I wonder if we ever think about that when we meet other people. Not that we are deliverers or rescuers, but how can we be a positive effect 
upon other people that we meet. Second story. It follows in a short paragraph, really, uh, right following this naked and bloody man, this one who had been blamed and bound. And the story goes like this in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus asked, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding in and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she had been healed instantly. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Here is a bleeding woman. She has a condition. She's had it for 12 years. She has been an individual that has had a bleeding medical problem. And because of Jewish uh, laws, she was really not allowed to be a part of the community. If you read the Old Testament, even women when they were having their menstrual cycle were considered unclean until they were done with uh, that uh, time of the month. Some strange laws, but yet at the same time, here's what they believed. And here was a woman, again, isolated. And for 12 years, she went to doctors and she tried to find out how she could be healed. And no one could help her. And she sees Jesus coming along and she recognizes him as someone that has come from God. And she sneaks up and she says, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak, I will be healed. And she does so. And Jesus feels the tug on the edge of his cloak. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples go, well, there's a lot of people around you. We have no way of knowing who touched you. No, no, no. This person touched me with great faith. And healing has come about for her. Well, the story goes on, and after he says, you've been healed, remember how this story begins. There's a man named Jairus. He's a significant individual. He's a synagogue leader, and his daughter is dying. And he runs to Jesus to see if Jesus could heal his daughter. But this woman, with the issue of blood, interrupted his journey, and Jesus stops and interacts with this woman. And all the time, you know what Jairus is doing? He's going like that, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. My daughter's life is in danger. Stop talking to this woman. She's had a problem for 12 years. You can, do, you know, you can talk to her tomorrow. No, Jesus takes the time. And by the time he then gets back on track and he comes to the house of Jairus, his daughter had died. At that point, all of the sense of hope that Jairus had just kind of drained because now he's burdened with grief. The type of intense grief 
that only comes when you've lost someone so close to you that you feel a part of the fabric of your life has been ripped out of your soul. And Jesus comes, and here's how the text says what happened. While he's coming, come, there are people that come out and say, your daughter's dead in verse 49. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they all laughed at Jesus, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. She raises this little girl from the dead, and hope has been restored. Jesus takes the time to talk to this woman who had been bleeding for all these years, and then when he finally gets to Jairus' house, he says, get up, get up. These are words of resurrection, words of hope beyond the grave. So Jesus, no neutral exchange. As we look at him up close and personal, what we find is he always interacts with someone in a way to give them a sense of hope and healing. Well, if you jump a couple of chapters, and this is a long passage, so I'm not going to really read any of it, but I'll tell you what happened. So now Jesus is a threat to the religious leaders who have the power and position in the community because they want people to still be dependent on them. So they see Jesus doing these miracles, and in chapter 11, some of the religious leaders say, well, we can't deny that he is healing these individuals. We can't deny that he has exercised these demons, but we don't know where he's getting the power from. And so this chapter tells us that they blame Jesus for using the power of Beelzebul. Now that's a word that goes all the way back to the idea of Baal of the Old Testament. He's receiving his power from a false god, from the demons themselves. In Matthew's gospel, this is called the unpardonable sin, to be able to see in person the miracles of Jesus and attribute that power to the devil and not to God. These individuals, we find in Luke's text, become very uh, bombastic and belligerent. Have you ever met people like that in your life? Belligerent people who are not open to change and to the movement of God, not open to learning. And that's what these group of religious leaders were doing. They were bombastic and they were belligerent and they begin to say Jesus is doing this by the power of the devil. Well, Jesus has some words and if you read in chapter 11, he will also not allow this to be a neutral exchange either because one of the things that he will do is he will correct them. He will give to them words of explanation and illumination and he basically says, a house divided against itself can't stand. If I was doing this by the power of the devil, well, then I'm working against the very 
power that you think is in control here. And so Jesus will often take these moments and have this interchange with people. And sometimes he needs to speak the truth to them. Sometimes he needs to correct them. And so while there are all these positive stories, yet at the same time, Luke highlights the fact that there is moments in our life when we have to stand our ground and when we have to put some boundaries in place and we have to correct incorrect thinking. So Jesus deals with the drama of these individuals. Most of the time he's loving and healing, but in this case he is correcting. Now the last one is the passage I read where Jesus heals the blind beggar. And in that passage of scripture that I read for you a couple of moments ago, what you find is this blind beggar uses some terminology here that are quite um, messianic. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here's an individual that was on the corner And he's sort of kind of like the individuals that you'll run across in downtown that's always in need of a handout. Um, These are individuals that we often like to avoid. These are individuals that we often look the other way because either we're uncomfortable or we don't trust them or we feel that they're running a scam of some sort or all kinds of issues like that. But Jesus finds this man who obviously is not only blind, but he's a beggar because he, there's no way for him to make money. And what we find is Jesus will reach out to him, and twice this man says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now notice how Jesus interacts with this man. He asks him a question. What do you want me to do for you? And the man replies, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God. So all these little pericopes that are in the Gospel of Luke give to us the way he interacted with people. And I think there are some life lessons that we can learn from how Jesus interacted with people. You're going to do things that come most naturally for you. Some of you are extroverts, some of you are introverts, and some of you are individuals that have hesitation because you're not quite sure whether you can trust another individual unless they kind of prove themselves. But when you look at these stories, the thing that I think we can learn is this here. Have you ever been left bound and blamed by bombastic and belligerent people who have left you bleeding because of their blindness? I think we all have. That's how I brought these four stories together. Okay. These four stories remind us that at times we will feel bound and blamed by other people, by bombastic and belligerent, uh, egotistic individuals. And sometimes we will have wounds that leave us bleeding in those moments. And it's not you. It's because of blindness. Well, how are you going to respond? That's the key question. Are you going to respond in the same way that they're communicating with you? Or are you going to speak kindness? 
Are you going to respond with patience? Are you going to respond with grace? Well, each moment has its own dynamics. There's not one size that fits all, is there? So in each situation, I think what we learn is that Jesus took a variety of different approaches as he interacted with other people. And you're going to need to do the same, and I'm going to need to do the same. So what is it that we can do? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is ask God for wisdom in those moments, right? Give me some wisdom on how to respond in those situations. And then I think we need to speak kindness. The book of Proverbs says, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Did you know that? There's life and death in the power of the tongue. We can give life or we can sap life by the way we respond. Here is a video that's called Speak Kindness. It's done by Toby Mack, and it is quite powerful in the imagery that is being used. Watch. feels perfect other days it just ain't working the good the bad the right the wrong and everything in between yo it's crazy amazing we can turn our heart through the words we say mountains crumble with every syllable broken live or die so speak
was perfect. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. And we will make a choice of how we will use our interactions this week. Will it bring life or will it cause death? Lord, watch over our tongue and help us to follow the lead of Jesus. To know the difference between wisdom and foolishness. To know how to speak life to know how to speak kindness, know how to speak love and healing, and yet at the same time, Father, speak truth when that's necessary as well. Give us the ability to discern in the moment when we encounter others. Help us to represent the love of Jesus in a positive way, not in an obnoxious way, not in a bombastic or belligerent way, and help us not to be afraid of the broken and the bleeding, and those that are carrying the burdens of grief. We ask, Lord, that we just might be your ambassadors in our world that brings about the type of grace and peace and love that is needed to make this week just a little bit better. Father, for the most part, we know that there are rarely neutral exchanges that we have with other people. And so help us to see each opportunity to use positive change. So we thank you for these moments of learning and growth and worship. And we ask for your blessing upon our week ahead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. It's great having you here. Nice seeing all of you. I hope you have a great day too. Bye.